Hello and welcome to Hands-On Techie Talks, where we talk about all things creation and innovation for kids like you. My name is Danielle Boyer, and I'm an Indigenous teen, educator, author, and robot maker. And I'm Vinia Gunnishaker, a 12-year-old changemaker who loves robots, helping my community, and protecting our environment. Today is our seventh episode in the Environmental Innovation Series, where we are hearing from our guest, Sean Ray, a young Indigenous electrical engineering student, former NASA intern, and active ACES member. ACES stands for American Indian Science and Engineering Society, and we love the work they do in the STEAM community so much. If you're a native in STEAM like me, check out their website at www.asis.org. I love the work that they're doing so, so much. Sean is actually one of our leaders here at the STEAM Connection, my organization that started this podcast. He recently joined our team and is such an inspiration and role model. I met Sean at the first ACES conference I ever attended last year. I had a robot booth and found him stacking my robots on the table. I still have the picture. It is always so fun to meet people who do cool things in STEAM, and Sean is awesome. This is the first time that I'm meeting Sean, and it's so exciting. I can't wait to hear more about his work. It really inspires me as a future engineer, especially. Also remember that you can follow along with this episode at home at www.steamconnection.org slash hands-on with our fun activity sheet. Let's meet our guest. Hello, Sean. Hey, everyone. Uh, great to be here on your podcast, uh, Danielle and Vinaya. Uh, like you said, my name is Sean, and I'm currently a senior at uh, studying electrical engineering at Oklahoma State University. Uh, and right now, I'm primarily working on a research project that deals with robotics. Robots in particular are just especially fascinating to me because you can essentially create something that goes and does whatever you need it to. And so that's part of the main reason of why I chose robotics as my research field. That's crazy. I love the work that you're doing, especially with ACES. Can you tell us a bit about the research that you've done? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so so the former NASA project that I've worked on, uh, we've actually worked on uh, creating tools to help astronauts on the ISS. And so uh, it was a design challenge, and we went through the process of um, brainstorming, you know, creating an initial design, and then actually making the final product. And right now, um, like I mentioned about robotics, I'm actually working on a project that deals with artificial muscles for robotics in particular, in making them a lot more lightweight and just helping them function overall. So I'm actually studying electrical engineering and also mechanical engineering at the same time. I'm doing this because I'm really interested in robotics and making the robots as perfect as I can. And I think that the best way to do that is by studying as many different things as possible because it will allow me to be a better robotics designer. And I'm really interested in biorobotics engineering, which is the emulation of biological organisms, either mechanically or chemically. And I'm not always the biggest fan of chemistry, so in my case, I'm really interested in emulating them mechanically and doing that about things like stingrays and mountain goats and crazy animals like that. I think it would be so, so cool. How does your work, how is it kind of similar to biorobotics with your work in robotics and muscles? Yeah, so the the one thing that's really cool about artificial muscles is that it's we're trying to make a product that is similar to a biological muscle and almost everything that moves, you know, with the exception of like insects and bugs and stuff, um, 
has a muscle that it uses to move around. And so if we can create something that mimics that at a low cost and is controlled by electricity, then we can essentially implement that anywhere that we can and create a fully functioning, like articulating robotic without the use of like, um, you know, other, other traditional methods like motors and hydraulics and stuff like that. And how did you get interested in this originally? Did you plan from the beginning to do stuff in this work or did you, uh, did it kind of just happen? No, it actually, um, I, I would say it just kind of happened um, because whenever I first came to college, I started out as wanting to build rockets and go work for, um, funny, I actually did work a little bit for NASA, but um, work as a full-time engineer for NASA, creating ro- um rockets, not robots, uh, creating rockets and um, just really focusing on space technologies. And then as I went out through college, I started to realize that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. And I started looking out for different options. And I kind of stumbled upon the whole biomimetic, biomechatronics area. Um, And that's kind of really what got me started into looking for research areas. in that field. And so I asked my professor that I work with on the NASA project and he referred me to a different professor. And that one that I'm with now has been working on all these projects and it's kind of how I ended up where I am now. That's really awesome. So when I actually was in high school and kind of picking what I wanted to do in life, I actually thought I was going to be pursuing a business major, like helping people with their finances, doing businesses with marketing. And I realized that was a lot of the time because people told me that, especially as a girl, that I couldn't pursue those things uh, that I really liked, like robotics, uh, my interest in Legos, all that stuff. Um, Have you ever heard comments like those and what have you done to kind of overcome that? So first off, like, that's awful. If anybody listening to this, don't don't put others down. Like, that's not cool. Um, Encourage people to search for what they love and what they want to do. The flip side is that being a guy, usually people encourage you to do STEM related stuff like engineering and math and such like that. And so um, a lot of the problems I think I faced being an African-American and Native American student, um, growing up in a low income uh, home and not really having the, you know, the resources to go out and learn these different things. Um, about engineering and about steam and you know all this stuff and so I think really the the big thing that I wouldn't say held me back but definitely put me at a disadvantage was just not having the resources that a lot of other people had available to them and I think that's why your role on the steam connection team is so important because that is what we do we work on increasing steam accessibility to important educational resources, and we work to make the resources available that kids may not have otherwise, especially kids who are Black and Indigenous. So it's it's important, I believe, to have people like you on the team who have experienced those things and who know firsthand the importance that these resources play and how much it can change your life. I mean, you're an example. It's changing your life right now. You're pursuing engineering and you're pursuing some amazing projects. I mean, you worked at NASA. That's amazing. About the artificial muscles you were talking about, can you explain a bit about that and why you might need them? 
Until now, I actually did not know that artificial muscles were a thing. So,、um, could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, of course.、Uh, so, the like most people, they don't know that artificial muscles are a thing,、um, but particularly in applying them to robotics. And so,、um, my I guess research and what I'm wanting to do、uh, from here on out really is. Taking those artificial muscles and putting them into robotic systems wherever they're needed, so that、um, robots can function without heavy、um, heavy materials to actuate them. So things that are used now are、um, motors,、um, pneumatics, and those those two are the main things that are used for robotics right now. But usually. The the energy needed and the weight、um, of those devices, it it usually works out well. But with artificial muscles, you can get a lot better performance out of something that's much lighter and gives the same response. On my first text challenge team, we're actually building a robot right now for this season. We're about halfway done, and I just want to say that I really love robots, and there are so many different types. So, Sean, what would your favorite type of robot be? I would definitely say that my favorite type of robot now is、uh, called Spot, and it's a robot made from Boston Dynamics,、uh, which is a company that specializes in building robots. And、uh, the thing about Spot is, it's pretty much a four-legged robot that's able to move around and do whatever tasks you need. And so, the thing that is so cool to me is it's one step closer for technology.、Um, but Spot it mimics、um, it mimics a dog and how it walks, how it moves. Uh, and just how it interacts with its environment around it, and so、uh, that's one thing that's really fascinating to me. And、uh, a lot of engineering has gone into that, and it just shows how far we've come、um, technology-wise. And it kind of is a little, a little door to、uh, the future and, and what's possible. So one of the main ways that I actually became interested in robotics was through YouTube. I was able to look up robots、uh, done by Boston Dynamics specifically, which is a company out of Boston. And、um, my favorite robot by them is called the Sand Flea, and it can jump on really high、uh, surfaces. And when I look at it, it just looks like a little remote control car. It doesn't look like it could do anything special at all, but it can jump, leap, roll. Well, it can't roll, but it can jump and leap, and <laughs> I think that it is so cool. And I hope that one day I get to actually see it in person、um, because it is just so awesome. And another robot that I really like is called a Velux robot, and it looks a lot like a cuttlefish and how a cuttlefish is actually like shaped. It can go on ice, it can go on snow, it can go on sand, in the water, everywhere. And I think that is so cool that robots can do so many different things, and it just propels me to want to continue to make robots—not only educational robots, but also robots for research purposes that I just think are really, really cool.、Um, my favorite robot is actually Spot as well.、Um, yeah, when I was younger, I wanted to work at Boston Dynamics, and、um, one of the reasons I was especially drawn to this robot is that I'm a dog person.、Jeez. I love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no! Don't let her shame you. Don't let her shame yes, you, Vanessa. I, <laughs> <laughs> I do love dogs, 
Um, but the second was that it was just incredible that we were able to mimic a dog and do something today. Just the fact that we were able to mimic something like that is incredible in so many ways. Spot actually inspired me a lot because I really think mountain goats are pretty cool and how that they can go up really steep surfaces, right? And they can go up surfaces that it, they just won't fall off, which I think is crazy because I know if I were in that situation, I would totally just fall. And I'm like, how could we replicate this in a robot form? And I thought of Spot and how Spot is a lot like a dog. Well, what if we made a robot similar to Spot and how it's like a dog, but a robot is similar to a mountain goat and it can climb up steep surfaces and take maybe pictures or just chill with other goats. And I think that would be really cool to make and is actually what got me interested in biorobotics to begin with. I remember presenting my research at the same conference that Sean was at for ACES. We had like research posters and we were talking about our different projects. And I just remember telling the judges, I didn't even talk much about my project. I was just like, mountain goats, mountain goats. They thought I was so weird and I totally didn't win any awards. But it was a lot of fun to be able to talk about it. And I actually got contacts at different colleges who work in biorobotics, and hopefully that one day I'll be able to work with them. So I think that's pretty cool. I want a robotic mountain goat, so once you get that done, please contact me. Yes. I know, right? <laughs> who, would, who wouldn't? Like, you can make it go do stuff for you, <laughs> and it won't fall off of anything. I don't know what exactly application you're thinking of, Sean, where you need <laughs> a robot that won't fall off of anything. Um, but if you happen to go mountain climbing, maybe it will like carry your drinks for you or something. That's cool. I can have a personal, um, personal walking shelf and I can have a friend at the same time. See, I love that. That's another application that I didn't think of for the robot. (laughs) All right. Boston Boston Dynamics is really, uh, really inspiring the next generation here. (laughs) This episode is actually really special because it's the first episode during Native American Heritage Month. This month was put in place in 1990 in the United States. It aims to provide a platform for Native peoples when often there isn't one. Both Danielle and Sean are Native, but from different tribes. Danielle is from the Ojibwe tribe, and Sean is from the Navajo tribe. Each Native tribe is very different with their own cultures and way of life. So, Sean, how do you celebrate this month? You know, uh, to be honest, I did not even know November was Native American Heritage Month until this year, um, which is pretty crazy, um, given that I should know about it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I hadn't heard of it at all until this year. And um, it's just it, it's really cool um, that we have a designated month for that. Uh, and so I think the main thing that I'll probably be looking into this month is uh, actually the different food uh, resources and the different uh, foods that are made throughout the Southwest region, mainly by the Navajo people. Uh, and so I actually have a book that was written by a professional chef, I believe. And she went through um, the Southwest region and learned a lot about the Navajo and the Hopi tribe uh, people uh, and a lot of other different uh, tribes in that area, Southwest area and picked up a lot of the traditional ways of how food is made, how food is grown, 
uh, the connection of it to the uh, the people that live there. And so I think that this month is uh, one that I'm really gonna, I guess, dive in and really learn more about it because it's it's really fascinating to me. Um, and just the state of um, the food availability state there in the Southwoods region for the native peoples there is in a really bad position right now. Um, and it's not as, um, food isn't as available as it is to most cities. And so for the native people of the Southwest in particular, it's almost, a, they live in a desert and they also live in a food desert. And so uh, essentially there's not as many grocery stores or um, naturally sourced foods that are available to everybody. And so that's one thing I'm definitely going to look into this month. I'm actually celebrating Native American Heritage Month in a way that I haven't in the past. I'm going to be working even more to learn my language. I actually struggle a lot with like spelling and pronunciation. Um, and so I really want to learn my language and bring that on to future generations and educate with that as well because I think that it is so important. And I also think it's kind of embarrassing that I don't know my language and I want to learn. So I'm using this month to uh, practice and learn and understand more of the language and things that I haven't learned before. Um, I'm also going to be supporting some of my favorite organizations uh, like ACES through things like donations, robots, and public speaking. And Sean and I actually plan on giving a talk together for the Natives in Tech conference, and we're super excited about it. Whoop, whoop ready <laughs> uh i would say don't 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 feel embarrassed uh for not knowing your language um i don't know mine just the fact of acknowledging like hey like i don't know this but i really should learn it i think is um just like one of those steps i totally agree and i hope that i will be able to learn how to pronounce blueberry pie um it is one of the longest words ever um, and I hope that I learn it because I think it's really cool. <laughs> Good party trick. I know how to say blueberry pie. And, or even just learning how to spell it. <laughs> yeah, um, I especially think that lots of languages are slowly going away today. And I feel like it's important to keep those alive because that was their literal way of communication. And I feel like it's important to learn that. But you should, definitely shouldn't be ashamed if you don't know it. It's never too late to try. Uh, Vinya, do you speak another language? Yeah, I do, actually. I speak Tamil. Um, it's an Indian language. Um, I've been wanting yeah. to learn. Yeah. Because people at my robotics team all spoke Tamil and spoke about me behind my back, <laughs> and I wanted to know what they said. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's definitely one way of using the language. It's um, one of the oldest languages um, today. It also has more than 500 letters, so it's going to be a little bit difficult. Mm. But I'm rooting for you, Daniel. <laughs> uh, have were you taught it as a kid? Um, I'm actually going to classes right now. Um, I'm really bad at it, <laughs> and um, I've been going for I think four to five years. I'm really I don't know. I've been going for about four to five years, and I'm still really bad at it. <laughs> um, but I'm trying my best. I so. think that's awesome that you're focusing on learning that and um, that you're actually putting in the effort to attend the classes and to learn because I know it's way more than what I've been doing. And so props to you. Yeah, you you, you got this. You got this. Look at us, the, the multilingual crew. <laughs> <laughs> the barely multilingual crew. <laughs> <laughs> the, ba the barely multilingual crew. <laughs> 
So in our first episode, I talked about how I feel about our Earth as an Indigenous person and how I feel a duty to protect our sacred land. Seeing how people treat land defenders makes me very upset because people don't listen to natives about land that our ancestors have been on for ages. How does your identity intersect with your work? <coughs> Excuse That's me. That's how? Wow. Oh, inspiring. <laughs> I've been... <laughs> I've been... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Um, <laughs> I don't really know, but I think just being a member of the Navajo tribe definitely encourages me to um, just be as excellent as I can in my work because there there's such a, a depreciation of natives in STEAM and minorities in general in STEAM. And so just the fact of me being Navajo alone helps encourage me to look for sustainable options in uh, my work because the Navajo people, as many other Native tribes do, uh, just acknowledge the earth as, you know, the provider that it is and what it, uh, what life it gives to us. Um, but I would say definitely it encourages me to just be as excellent as I can and in, in the work that I do. Um, and, you know, what's kind of funny too, is that you were talking about how um, people haven't, you know, been able to take care of the land. As we've seen in the past couple of months, the uh, fires that are going on in California are just out of control. And one of the things that I've learned is I, I looked into it and I learned that those fires um were actually, um, you know, I would say a big a big contributor to those was climate change. But another contributor to it was actually the way that they treated the land. And uh, after the fires have, you know, started to come down, the public officials have started going to um, the local Californian tribes and, you know, asking for guidance and how how could we, you know, help the land and so that this doesn't happen again. And what's really interesting is that uh, I would say either within the last 50 years or a little bit more than 50 years ago, I would say California was very intent on getting rid of any native influence in the land. And so a tradition that they had every year where they would burn certain parts of the forest to help it maintain its health. And um, a lot of the public officials in California at the time um, passed a law that essentially banned it and started to push out natives from their, their own areas and uh, forced them to not be able to uh, practice this tradition that they had for so long. Not only just California, but many, many other areas around uh, the country are, uh, the land has just been so deprived of what the native peoples were able to do to it because they knew that in order for us to be taken care of, we have to take care of the earth because it takes care of all of us. I was actually going to say that too about the impact that we're seeing isn't just in California, it's all over. There's indigenous peoples everywhere. And it's crazy to me that no one listens. Politicians don't listen. Business people don't listen until they want something from us or they want something because they've seen that what we're doing is actually impactful and positive and beautiful. And I think that that's a really sad thing and why we need to teach having a relationship 
with different communities that we may not know otherwise and why we need to teach um, respecting everyone's cultures and values. And I just don't see that happening a lot. And that really bums me out. I really loved learning about different cultures and identities. How do you think non-natives like me can be good allies? That's a good question. Um, I would say uh, just one, um, you know, actually I've never heard that question before. Uh, yeah, I have never heard anybody ask me like, how can I be a good ally for natives? So I've never really thought about that. Um, yeah, Danielle, I feel like you would know this better than me. Yeah, go ahead. So usually what I recommend to people is um, to follow different indigenous creators on their favorite platform. So there's a lot of creators in different subjects, whether it be makeup or whether it be dance or whether it be cooking or fashion. And you can find these creators on everything from TikTok to YouTube to Instagram to Twitter. And you can also find stores to follow where you can check out um, indigenous designed um, clothing and uh, skirts and jackets. And it's just so awesome. And that's a huge way to learn about a culture that isn't your own and to begin to familiarize yourself with things that you might not know about otherwise. And when you begin to comment on things and maybe DM some of your favorite creators, you can actually build a relationship with them and um, hopefully make some new friends that you may not actually have in your immediate area where you live. So I also recommend to attend conferences if you can, like the American Indian Science and Engineering Society conference, to meet people that, as I said, you may not have in your community. So go out of your way to meet people who you might not otherwise. And you can either do that through conferences, you can do that for clubs, maybe when you're in college. So that's what I recommend um, to get started. And as you get to know different people, you can begin to help be an activist and to help the communities that you want to support. And the more you learn, the more you can actually help in a helpful way and not just a way that you think is helpful. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 you put it a pretty good way. Yeah. I would agree with all of that. Nobody's ever asked me that before. If you're not ready for all any of the things Danielle was talking about, just having a good mindset about them before would definitely help them mm -hmm. a lot. I mean, everyone's different and unique in their own way, but accepting everyone is just really beautiful what's in society right now. So Sean, if you could say anything to our young uh, by POC listeners, what would you say? Uh, I would say find what you love and be excellent at it because us in our position, in order for us to make the change that we need to, we need to have the, we need the experience and the knowledge to know how to be able to be in positions that can help us overall. Uh, and so a good example of that is uh, for me as an engineer, uh, there are not many by, by POC people at all. Uh, in, in the engineering field and even more specifically the electrical engineering field is even more so um, just depleted of by POC people and so I would say that for me I have to always think to myself like I have to be as excellent as I can for me in this area not be the best and if you can be the best be the best but for me specifically, I always tell myself, be as excellent as I can, because by doing that, I'll be able to have the resources in the future to help as many people as I can. I think that is an awesome takeaway. Sean, I'm so glad that we got to do this episode with you, and I hope that it's one in many. 
Hearing about your experiences in engineering is fascinating to me, and I really look forward to your role in the, at the STEAM Connection. Mm-hmm.